0: It is with a heavy heart that I must inform you that Jay Durrell is no longer going to be able to do tonight's podcast. That's it. No, he'll be back next week. Basically, he's doing an exam, and so I'm going to take this opportunity, since Eric gave me full reign to do the intro, to let you know about getting a grip on things the podcast that I am doing with my good friend James Stewart. Go check it out on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We also just made a switch to Rumble and are releasing exclusive content there. So find the link below. Uh, But yeah, I guess enjoy this episode with Eric. And it's a Patreon exclusive. Go become a Patreon member. It's not that expensive and you get even more shows. I think we're up to like, 10 or 12 shows, including Patreon, a week. It's crazy. Go listen to them. Go watch them. Subscribe. I love you. The
1: growing calls across the nation to defund the police.
0: To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it
1: all right welcome to the patreon special i'm sure the peasants out there that aren't on patreon will hear this eventually but uh you patreon guys are in for a real treat i'm sitting here with marriage the rapist destiny morris destiny listen i can't say therapist ever since the uh saturday night Night Live skip
2: (laughs) yeah sometimes i read it like that in my head too it's okay
1: (laughs) now are you strictly law enforcement
2: First, responders. Um, first responder, responder. That's there. my umbrella. Yeah.
1: That is your umbrella.
2: Yep. Do you get,
1: um, I mean, do you get a lot of business?
2: I'm completely full. Yeah.
1: Do a lot of dudes like, I what, have the, what do guys talk about? Sex. Most that's it all the time.
2: No, it's a hot topic because I've been <laughs> in so many podcasts talking about sex and relationships and pornography oh, issues. Oh. There are tons and tons of first responders that listen to those things and go, wow, um, that's me. And I do have a problem, but I didn't know who I could talk to about it. So I definitely get a lot of um, you know, relationship stuff. I, I do couples therapy, so tons of couples. Um, and then I also do groups for first responder wives or partners of first responders. So I support the the spouses at home as well.
1: What's it like when they sit down with their significant other and you go into it? Is it like the movie Oh, what was it? Uh with Will Ferrell, where he's like the trust and the tree and the trust tree. I don't know you, know, you, don't, you don't know which movie I'm talking about? No, no, but it makes Oh, it was old school. It was yeah. uh, old school where he goes through marriage counseling. Okay. And he's like, sometimes you see a waitress and you wonder what kind of thong does she have on? Is it string thong? Is it long? And her wife's like... He's like, what? I thought this was the trust tree. <laughs> um, what is it like when these family members get together, these husbands and wives, they get together in your office and they learn for the first time that their husband's uh addicted to porn. And is it the other way around? Are the women addicted to porn sometimes in these or is it mostly the men?
2: Yes, but I don't hear people talk about being addicted to porn in couples therapy. I don't
1: Oh, you don't.
2: No, I think it's really um oh. an individual that comes and it's and it usually what happens is I'll get a, you know, a message on psychology today or whatever saying Hey, I listened to one of your podcasts. I'm, uh, you know, in law enforcement or whatever, first responder. Um, some of the stuff you're talking about resonated with me, and I know when I hear that, that they're talking about the sex part of my podcasts, mm. um, they get on the phone with them and they ask, "Hey, can I just do phone sessions?" <laughs> <laughs> so those are the. <laughs> that's usually how those ones go. Not always. Some people meet me on Zoom. Couples therapy is a bit different. We're talking more about relationships stuff. I mean, I guess that stuff could come up. We do talk about sex during couples therapy, but I don't have someone full on confessing those things as of yet. (laughs) Usually individual therapy.
1: (laughs) Uh, What do you talk about on your show that makes them uh, like, what's your philosophy on it? What's your take on it?
2: I've got a lot. That makes them
1: feel so inclined to call you and say it resonated with them.
2: Well, I mean, I think I normalize it and not that it's ever, you know, addiction, I don't ever want to, you know, glorify it and say it's, it's okay. But I think the struggle is, is huge when it comes to first responders. And I have this theory that because it's such a, you know, high risk, high reward kind of a job and, um, and the culture in itself and the relationship issues that can come out of being in a first responder lifestyle and a first responder culture really breeds addiction in general. But, definitely pornography use. And, um, I don't know, no one talks about it. That's probably also why I don't, I don't see very many other podcasts talking about first responders and sex.
1: Yeah. You always have that one character too. That's on the squad. That's like always scrolling and you're just like, man (laughs) at work. You don't think that's a problem. You know, it is like, it's like the alcoholic that just has to put vodka in their coffee. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like that school teacher that just got busted not too long ago, which, by the way, I feel terrible for. Do you not think in any way, shape, or form she'd have been publicly shamed the way she was for being half lit at school? I almost kind of expect public school teachers to be half lit while they're there. I almost would want my <laughs> kid's teacher to be half lit, um, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, there's always that one dude on the squad that's. Um, can't stay out of the phone and he's always scrolling. Yeah. You don't yeah. you know what he's scrolling.
2: Yeah, yeah. You look at their for you page and it's, you know what it is.
1: Yeah. You know what it is. And that that's a problem. Like, yeah. Obviously that's a problem. It's right. um, yeah. And so I like, how do you, get, <clears throat> how do you get him to deal with it?
2: Mm. we got to look at obviously the root of the problem i think that's the first thing um just like with any addiction admitting it and reaching out is the first step and once you do that i think for a lot of people it's a breath of fresh air because a lot of times it's double-edged right like there's the excitement of it the thrill of it and then on the other side there's the guilt and the shame of it too especially if you have a dedicated spouse at home who takes care of your children while you're on shift and you know and adores you and this happens, yeah. right? Sure. So the guilt and the shame will eat someone alive. And I think that's probably, for I'm me, to...
1: it's the, yeah. it's the cleanup. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like that's when you're laying there and it's all over your own face and you're just like, man, how did I get, how did I get here in this situation where I'm waiting on my own towel that I have to get myself.
2: Gross. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just kidding. It's too early for that. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I get it. Are these guys doing it on shift?
2: Probably. I mean, it's so sad.
1: It it is is. so sad. Do you feel that like love is a choice? Because I, this is where I come from. I have a hard time with therapists only because I've never really needed one. Mm. And I think that's why I've always, and I don't have a problem with them. It's just, it's something I can't understand. I've never had an addiction to anything. Yeah. So it's hard for me to understand addiction. Um, but I got better as a police officer and I worked with so much addiction, I was able to like empathize with it. And then being where I'm at now, I'm able to empathize with therapists and I've seen a, a great need just because of the amount of DMs I get where I'm constantly saying, yo, I'm not a therapist. You need a fucking therapist. Now I get it. Um, but like, where where do you think, you know, for for me, it's like love is a choice. So like, I just choose to, not do those things because love wins what I want. Like, what is your take on, on, on how they get there?
2: It's separate. Um, I think it's very separate for a lot of men, um, and women. I don't want to, you know, put it into one category people. No, that show- but
1: it's mostly men, right? Like how many women what? are knocking on your door about this shit? A handful. Really? Yeah.
2: Especially yeah, wildland firefighters that are women. Yeah. I see a oh, lot.
1: That's because yeah. they're living out of fantasy. How? <laughs> dude every chick wants to be with a firefighter
2: oh yeah Yeah, most guys want to too yeah i to circle back around i had thoughts when you said that you've never done therapy before and i want to talk about that too but (laughs) gosh um i could see why i think um i could see you being the client that just kind of brings up humor anytime something serious (laughs) would be brought up
1: yeah 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 for sure
2: I can I can already see your personality in like what five minutes sitting with you. Um, I would love to have someone like you as a client though. So if you ever want to try therapy, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, I I forgot your question.
1: No. Well, now my question is: you've got women firefighters banging on your door. What problems are they having? It's just because they're like spending the night with a bunch of dudes and they're
2: no, oh no, gosh, I've, I've done so many podcasts on this. Um. No, I mean they have a really hard time being feminine because it's not acceptable. Same oh. with women police officers. I just um, the whole Megan Hull scandal thing. I did a podcast on that, yeah. and um, I was talking about how as a female police officer, you really have two choices: you're either the mm-hmm. slut, or you are, you know, very masculine and you try to fit in, and and if and it's really hard for women to find an in between in this first responder world. Um, so that's one of the biggest things. But what I was referring to is pornography and sexuality comes up a lot with my wildland firefighter females. Absolutely. Mm.
1: Yeah, I could see that being. Um, so you, so the the wildland firefighter, what makes them different?
2: They're like a they're, whole different species.
1: <laughs> well, wildland firefighters are a different a b- different breed.
2: Yeah, they're like animals um, <laughs> and their seasonal work, which is very different than yeah. other first responders, right? They, sure. they go, go, go really hard. And then all of a sudden it just all stops for a handful of months, which um, as I don't know how long you've been, you're, are you still active? Do you still work? No,
1: gosh, yep. no. I think I could okay. say this shit and still be a real cop? No,
2: I don't. But <laughs> I, had to, I had to ask when you first uh, retired or ended, did you have a moment of like, what the hell do I do with myself?
1: Well, for sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, mine ended, I got fired. Um, I was officer of the year and fired the same year, but it was because I opened up a distillery, a legal rum distillery. Uh, So it was a little bit different for me. Um, And it was, it was pretty unexpected just because uh, it was the city manager who fired me and not really the department. Uh, Mm -hmm. The department knew what I was doing, but the city manager found out, I guess found out, I don't know how they didn't know. Um, And they had a problem with it. So Yeah, I mean, but there was definitely this moment of like, well, that wasn't part of the business plan. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what's the hardest part for me as a cop going back at it was obviously the high stress situations all the time. Um, But what do you do on night shift? What do you do when your family goes to sleep at 9.30 and you're just stuck being awake till 6.30 in the morning? And I think that's where a lot of guys – Fall into some issues. I'm, you know, lucky for me, I was able to have a little bit of discipline and say, like, "Mm, you've, you know, for the better half of a week been drunk every single night on your night off. Like, let's not do that and find something productive to do because that doesn't seem, but I mean, how many officers don't have that where they're just like, fuck it, I'm going to drink every night or I'm going to watch porn every night? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And again, it, it, I think too, if you think about it in the job, um, you know, not every day is, you know, exciting calls and stuff like that, but, but there is this, um, kind of like seeking out this high intensity. I mean, that's most people that are first responders in their job. They, they like the thrill of it. They like the push, they like the, the stress that comes with it. It's, and maybe that's not something you would admit, but it's something that you are very accustomed to. So you've kind of set this bar up here for thrill and excitement. So when you think about sex, a lot of times it doesn't hit that bar for these first responders because their threshold is so high. Um, and I'm not giving them an excuse for, but I'm saying it's super, super common. And I also think about, um, you know, dopamine hits, right. When I said it was separate from love. Um, I think that if we were to look at the brain, it highlights a whole different part of the brain, the same part of the brain that highlights when or lights up when you use heroin. Um, and it's that dopamine, it's that instant like smash that button, you get dopamine every single time you open Pornhub or whatever browser, right? And it, right. it meets that and it becomes this addiction of I just need to smash that dopamine so that I feel better, I feel okay. Um, it's a compulsive thing for a lot of people and it's very separate. Like if I asked any of these guys I, I see as clients, would you want to, you know, take any of these women out for a date? Would you want to actually pursue them in a relationship? Oh hell no no no! I love my wife. She's I've had multiple men that say I love my wife. They're amazing. I'm attracted to my wife. We have sex, but I can't stop watching porn. That's very common. It's not a one thing or another. And women have a hard time understanding this. Women become insecure and go, "Well, I don't look like them. Like, why are you viewing porn instead of having sex with me?" Because it's separate in a lot of men's heads. It's not the same.
1: Yeah, no, I can get. I can totally get that. I've, I've, my wife and I are very open and we talk a lot and we talk about all these things like very openly and candidly and we've had that discussion um, yeah. you know we, she went through my computer so I had a deployment computer from when I was 19 okay. and I we got married when I was 20, uh, 28 and um, and so I'd always had this this computer that hasn't been turned on since 2005 before YouTube existed and because it had the porn aids it had the virus from back in the day and so she fixed my computer as a surprise for christmas she took it to a college campus to get it fixed and she was like i got your computer fixed you know for christmas yeah i opened it up and it was a big gift and i was like whoa it's my old computer she's like yeah i got it fixed and i was like oh jesus and she just started laughing she was like yeah that's what the guy said that fixed it he said that was a lot of porn. And I said, well, yeah, that was like 20. Oh, you know, that was, I don't know how many years ago, 15 years ago. So whatever it was at the time. And, um, and so that always like sparked her curiosity. She was like, so like, do you still look at it now? Or do you do it then? You know, we've always been very open about, about pornography. And that was, that was the one thing that she couldn't understand was like, you know, like, well, do you want to be with those women or something? And you're like, no, yeah, I don't no, think that was it. I think I just wanted to jerk off. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. mean. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I see this a lot too. Um, you know, when you're working different kinds of shifts, right. Swing work and our swing shift and, you know, night shift, you, you probably aren't getting to spend a whole lot of time with your spouse either when that's happening, especially if you have children, um, other things are getting prioritized. So that's a whole nother part of this as well, is that you might be going without, and some people use pornography as a, a way to, to meet that need but what happens is when the more you engage with pornography the more distance that you create intimately between you and your spouse and then erectile dysfunction is like i don't know if you know this fact probably not and i love to just put it out there because it's fun um <laughs> reptile dysfunction is super common with first responders for lots of reasons but that's definitely one of them and that's what i get a lot is guys who are like well when i have sex with my wife i can't i can't come or i can't get going and it's because you've got this threshold up here that says this is how you get turned on and when you're having you know normal sex with your wife um in comparison to porn you're not able to to meet that standard
1: so you just need to turn it up you need to you know get on a ferris wheel or something you
2: know what I mean? <laughs>
1: smash up there to
2: or stop watching that, porn. I mean, <laughs> get
1: right? that adrenaline going, you know what I'm saying? <laughs>
2: something like that. But again, that there's that adrenaline. There's that like rush for something exciting. That's a first responder thing. And I think about the hypervigilance part of it too. That's a big thing that I talk about a lot is when you're super hypervigilant, this is talking about erectile dysfunction and you come home and your wife wants to have sex and you're thinking about, I don't know, the dead body or whatever, like you saw at work it's really hard to come down from that and turn. Well,
1: it's almost annoying. I can remember that being a point of contention in our marriage earlier on. Again, my wife and I are very open. We talk about all this thing. So we were able to talk our way out of it. But like, for me, what I told her was when I come home, I don't want to be touched. And like, and I know that her love language is, uh, you know, uh, physical touch and affection and things like that. But when I come home from work, I, there is a shame that I would bring home with me. Is how I told her. I said, like, you know, there are some things that I that go on at work that I see, that I do. One bed bugs. Um, I feel dirty because I feel like I constantly have bed bugs. Not a joke. No, and like- I always felt like I gotta get in a shower and wash this away from me. Being in nasty homes. Um, I like for me it was ritualistic to get in the shower and have the water just run onto my face because it was like, I was almost like baptizing everything I saw for the day away from me. So when I come home and the first thing she wants to do is hug me, I was annoyed. And then I was annoyed the rest of the time because she's felt that, that she felt that I was annoyed. So then she wants to like compensate by like trying to hold my hand, by following me to the shower, by trying to get into the shower with me. And like, it wasn't until we had the conversation where I was like, look, if you just, you gotta like, chill. You got to let me come home. You got to let me do a routine because this is how I feel when I get home. And we were able to kind of get around that. But I think when you're forced into physical affection, when you don't want it, it has drastic and dramatic effects yes. going forward for the rest of the evening.
2: Oh, absolutely. And you just kind of highlighted on something huge as communication, right? Like that really shows... How simple, but also how huge just communicating and saying, hey, when I come home, I don't like to be touched. I feel like I have bed bugs. I need to get in the shower, decompress, zone out in front of the TV, workout, whatever that looks like for the first responder. But if you don't, if you don't communicate that, then your partner at home, who's maybe been with kids for however many hours or days and hasn't had any human contact and wants to tell you all the things and touch you they're gonna feel rejected. And then like you said, it causes that cycle of avoidance or irritation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So for us it just kind of looked like I came home, I gave her a quick kiss, you know, went straight to the shower, took a shower, but I but we got into a routine, you know, that eventually ends up with us both on the couch, cuddle up next to each other and we're both happy. And then then you want to have sex. Yeah. But know. like I can remember in those early days, 2012, 2013 of us going through that phase of like well this isn't going to work like you can't just come home from work and like not want to be with me and i was like yeah you're right that's probably not going to work how do we fix this let's talk about it you know and that's that's kind of what we came up with um back in the day was just getting in that routine and now that i'm not a cop and i'm able you know i spent four years kind of looking back on a lot of the mistakes i made I spend a lot of time, a lot of time talking to cops about family. I talk a lot about a time that you don't, uh, you don't really realize that when you're a cop, the amount of energy that you're putting into so many other people, your supervisor, your squad mates, victims, suspects, court, you're putting a lot of time and energy into a lot of people that really give a fuck about you. And then your kid's a nerd, a fat nerd, and your wife's not happy with you. And then you're drinking with the squad on the weekends and you're not with your family. You know what I mean? Like, is that what you run into a lot?
2: Um, Yeah, I I do see some of that. Absolutely. And I don't know if a lot is the right word because it's so spread out, but I, you know, I see a lot of communication issues. I see a lot of, um, and I'm sure you understand this, but a lot of like apathetic people who lack empathy and that is a problem when it comes to relationships because their wife is like, "Why are you always so crabby and you know low patience and hating people?" And it's because of what you do all day long. So of course you hate people. Um, yeah. I grew up with my dad, a uh, police officer, so I kind of have that lived mm. experience as a child. By the
1: way, we saying hate people really touchy subject with me.
2: Which so. say, saying what? I hate people. Oh, is it? I
1: had to do. Uh, I had to do. A lot of anger management because yeah. I got caught in an audit talking on the phone and saying, This is why I hate people. And really? the department felt that I needed to go to anger management. They mm-hmm. took my gun and badge away for saying that for five months, it blew everybody away. Everybody was like, this is the craziest thing oh, that's yeah. ever happened in the history because you know, everybody's so hypersensitive. Yeah. Um, but I had to go to anger management for three weeks.
2: Was it helpful?
1: <laughs> no. Well, I, well, she got mad. She got mad. What? Yeah. She got mad because she felt that the department was using her as a um, kind of like a, like you're in trouble or we don't like you. We don't like what you're doing. So we're going to send you to anger management. But she was like, she reviewed the tape. She reviewed the footage of me saying, God, I hate people. She says, I said that like a thousand times a day. And yeah. in context, it was totally obvious of why you said it. It didn't even have anything to do with me. Why I hated people. The dude was complaining to me and I was just trying to help him. And I'm like, dude, that's why I hate people. Like it's stuff yeah. just like that.
2: Um, oh, I mean, yeah. And again, Culturally, when I think of my first responders, especially police officers, I would not be shocked by anyone saying that they hate people. Mm-hmm. I am surprised. That's crazy to me that that happened. No, myself.
1: but it's funny. If like all the therapy I could ever need, anger management is definitely not the one. I'm like the world's chillest. Like It's really, 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 really hard to make me mad.
2: No wonder you um, have feelings about therapy in general, though. I mean, that your experience didn't sound like a very good one
1: no, I just, I think, I think I need therapy on just trying to give more of a fuck about things because I just tend to just not give a fuck about anything.
2: That's what I'm talking about. I think that's really common with first responders and people who were first responders is you deal, you deal with someone's shit day in and day out and the kinds of people that you see in the repeat offenders and the, you know, homeless people. I mean, of course, when I've had, I had a first responder, I think he was a, yeah, he was a police officer. He Um, was on the job, retired, and then was sick of it and, um, sick of being retired. So he got another job working in like customer service or something. And he said he lasted about, I don't even think a full week because he realized that he could not deal with people after working in law enforcement for however many years. Like it was, he had no patience for it. Not that, (laughs) you know,
1: (laughs) it's hard, man. It's hard, (laughs) but you have to like work at it you know i i say it on the show all the time and that, and i do a show once a week called last call and it gives you something else to talk about over the weekend to your civilian friends mm-hmm. other than the job because uh too many cops forget that you are a civilian yeah yep. you're a cop but you're a civilian too and you're a civilian for 15 days out of the week typically i mean 15 days out of the month you know so you've got to know how to be a civilian and if you consciously ignore that fact, then you're just going to be a douche canoe that has shitty children, three ex-wives. And when you retire, nobody's going to remember your name and nobody will give a fuck about you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I would have to agree with that too. I, I, I think that that's really, um, it's common, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Going back uh, to the sex thing, you said that women in in police departments and firefighters, they kind of have these these options, right? You can either be the squad whore. You can be the squad tomboy, as I see it, like the one that's always competing with the men. So it's constantly a competition, whereas the dudes do compete with each other. But I feel like the girls, like you always have that one girl that's competing with everyone, Um, and that's crazy. And then, I mean that, and then you maybe have the girl, you know, you might, you might every once in a while have that one girl that kind of gets her shit together, um, and figures it out, but it takes time. And every one of the girls that I've ever worked with, and I've worked with some great ones. My partner was a chick. She's amazing. She's awesome. We're still friends to this day, but I think it takes like probably four or five years to figure it out.
2: Oh, yeah. Because think about it. It's not acceptable to be feminine. It's not really, um, there's not really space for it, especially in law enforcement. You know, you're supposed to assert yourself and have authority.
1: And but Do feminine girls really seek out law enforcement to begin with? Like, Do you think know. that they were feminine before the police department and then it well, changed I- them? Or do you think they were a little bit tomboyish and that's why they became a cop in the first place?
2: I think both. I mean, I've definitely seen some. I'm thinking more, you know, for, as far as like firefighters go to, I've seen, you know, feminine women or, or, and I think too, like, even if you're a tomboy and that's, you know, your thing there, you're still a woman, you still have femininity, you know? And I think that, um, it's hard for these women to tap into that because it's not acceptable in the workplace. And you kind of have to, um, my dad had a name for it and I can't remember what it is now. It was rude, but, um, basically like these women are, are trying to rev up all of the, um, masculinity that they have in order to fit in or to be seen as one of the guys. And, um, and because they do that so often when they come home to their partners, it's really hard for them to tap in and be nurturing. And you know, all the things that we think of that are feminine, soft,
1: you know? Yeah. I I, I, listen, I, my, and my partner, she's not a cop anymore. Um, And she left law enforcement. Now I, I do have another friend and her, her husband is like a PA or something. And I've always have, Oh, and they're great. They seem great. At least. Um, I think they're great. Uh, you never know what's going on behind closed doors, but I've always wondered how that dynamic works because she was very much, she was very much an authoritarian style cop. Like I'm not scared of anything. She worked yeah. in the ghetto you know, get up against the wall doing all the things. And her husband was like full blown. He was a flight nurse. So we used to call him the flight fairy. Um, but he was very much the opposite of her, but they're great together. Um, they are great together. But I, I always thought, man, that's gotta be hard for him to be like, well, how was your day, honey? But I guess if he's harvesting organs and shit, he's got a lot to talk about too.
2: Yeah. And, and really, do you come home and talk about harvesting organs though, or do you keep that to yourself?
1: Oh, good question. I don't know. Well, we always teased him about harvesting organs because that's what he did.
2: Yeah. Was yeah.
1: Harvest organs for, um, you know, the, what do you call that? Donor, donor the cards. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Like his whole job in life was to fly around and check that donor card.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, very real. My dad worked for the coroner's office and I know that that wasn't really stuff that he ever really brought home, but I do remember speaking of like dark humor, I do remember, A lot of the dark humor I grew up with is probably what prepared me to be a first responder therapist because I sit with, you know, gnarly things all day long and we use humor and dark humor to cope with it. I'm sure you do too. No. No.
1: (laughs) No, no. I um I never I never use dark humor ever. (laughs) Of course
2: I do. My whole
1: life is a fucking (laughs) dark comedy.
2: (laughs) That's real weird.
1: (laughs) And the world's repaid me by giving me five children. There you go. Now you're going to use that coping mechanism for sure. Talk about dark comedy. Try being this guy with five fucking kids.
2: Yeah, My wife loves
1: (laughs) them. My wife loves having them. I hate when people are like, get off of her. What are you doing to her? And I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, you don't think that she, you think I'm raping her into having five kids? Like, you don't think for one second that maybe she just wants to have sex with me all the time and (laughs) kids are a result of that? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It's trust me, it's not me.
2: Kids bring joy to a lot of people. I um, I'm not sure if I'm on board with that personally, but I know a lot of people who say that.
1: So, dude, I can't imagine. Like, on a serious note, though, like I cannot imagine having anything less than five kids at this point.
2: Yeah, it's your normal. Um,
1: they are. I never thought I would have five kids for sure, but man, it is such a joy and such a blessing, especially when you teach good kids. Yeah. And you have really great kids. Like it's super fun going to a restaurant with five kids and people coming up to the table and being like, wow, these are like incredible children. Like, how did you get all your kids? You know, very rarely do you get that, but most people are like, oh my God, how many kids do you have? Oh girl, oh my God, five kids. And you're just like, shut the fuck up. Well, you're used um, to it.
2: Yeah. It's your norm. It's
1: We yeah. love them. Um, But it is cool having like it is cool being able to pass something on and and having something to be proud of you know and and um and i enjoy having having five kids but that is the world's way of paying me back for all the stupid shit i did in my early 20s when i was in the military um and being a lawless man with porn aids on his computer in 2005 come a long way since then there you go destiny of gone to come a long way. Now, do you ever get like uncomfortable in these, these chats with first responders They ever make you feel weird? No, <laughs> no.
2: I've seen, I, I always tell, um, I make sure to tell my clients that there's nothing that they could say that I probably haven't already heard or that I'm going to, I don't know, have a reaction. And that's the problem with therapy. And I've got problems with therapy too. So you're not alone in that. I, um, got a lot of beef with therapy actually, got, I got some beef with, with shitty therapists or therapists who say that they are first responder therapists, but then they can't sit with, um, a client talking about what a dead body smells like on 105 day baked on a car. Like, right. I hear those things day in and day out, but some therapists, they can't sit with that. And they think they can sit with first responders. And, and I, that really irritates me because then you get the first responder who feels shamed afterwards. Like, Ooh, I have no one I can actually talk to because it's you know, it's so gnarly or the dark humor side of it
1: too. Right. Right. Where they're just like, damn, that dude's fucked.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I remember I've heard a story of, um, you know, they got to a car accident and the guy was decapitated and, um, they wanted to take a picture of it. Like, yeah, of
1: course, that's, that's the first thing you do <laughs>
2: yeah. not ethically. Okay. But,
1: <laughs> but somebody's I- head's been decapa from their tated. Or whatever it was on The Office. You you watch The Office? Yes. I don't remember how it capitated from his decap or whatever it was. But uh, yeah, you always take a fucking picture.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, no, I don't get uncomfortable. I mean, there are things that give me the heebie-jeebies like a normal person. But you know what I do? I'm I'm a weirdo. In between sessions, um, because I get one after another, I'll stand up and kind of like shake it off. (laughs) Shake it off. It's like he you know the heebie jeebies where you
1: just need yeah. to like you put
2: Taylor Swift on too while you do it?
1: Check Absolutely not. It off. <laughs> <Check> it <off>. <laughs> <laughs> um goodness gracious. I so and, and that's what you do all day long. You just like these guys come in, these guys and girls and the family stuff, they come in and, and uh they pour their soul out to you. And now are they forced to be there or do they come willingly? They come voluntarily, is this like
2: both and yes I get a lot of willingly which is my favorite obviously I don't do you ever get
1: them before it's too late
2: um couples yeah way too many people wait way too long to that's
1: kind of how I feel it's like
2: yeah I'm like why why didn't you you
1: go to therapy before it got that fucking bad
2: I've got some gnarly couples who can't even have a conversation about anything because they just scream and fight so yeah.
1: what do you tell them
2: them? quiet (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) I think it's kind of like being like on a rodeo bowl that's what sometimes those sessions feel like um where I really have to obviously I am gentle and kind and, and those things are a part of my personality and I definitely have a lot of empathy but with those those kinds of situations I feel like I have to come in very authoritative of okay listen you guys are here. You're spending, you know, a good amount of money to be here. This is your time. This is my time. Y'all can fight without me for free. But right now, we're talking about constructive stuff, so we're gonna take turns when we're talking, you know. And we're gonna <laughs> like I feel like I'm almost parenting a little bit. Yeah, for sure. But I get a lot of respect that way, um, especially yeah. from the first responder in the relationship. That's like, oh shit, okay, you're right. Yeah, you ever I-
1: drop this one on him? You're a first responder. Act like it.
2: Oh, no, I would never. Dude, I would
1: you never. should. I pull that one on gang members all the time. Where they'll be like sitting, they'll be like, "Can I get up? My legs are falling asleep. Can I uncross my legs?" There's ants going on me. I'd be like, "Dude, aren't you a blood gang member? Act like it." That's a good and they're one. always like, I oh. yeah. and I'm like, "I'm just saying, dude. I like to like I like to think that my gang members are tough, and that ants aren't going to bother them, and that your feet aren't going to fall asleep when you're crushed You know, yeah. and that always shuts them up. They never like fight back. They're always like, "All right, okay." <laughs> Like, I feel like if you said that to a first responder, like, well, then you- I
2: would get the negative thing that I'm wanting, right? Like, or the opposite of what I'm wanting. Oh, I, damn. I don't want them to man up and, you know, become this like hardened thing. Like that's the problem in the first place with their relationship is that they have no empathy or understanding yeah. or space for their, their partner's feelings or emotions. Like
1: <laughs> now, what do you, what do you say about like, you ever had this one come across your desk? Why is it that in all the first responder culture, there's so many fucking swingers?
2: <laughs> I think that goes hand in hand with infidelity in first responders. Yeah,
1: um, for sure. There's yeah. so much of it. Yeah, because like I, I talk about it on the show all the time that we almost glorify, dude. Like we we preach, we talk about integrity forever. There's a, there's a $1 bill that's been sitting at the North district station for like 20 years. And they've had pride that this dollar has been sitting in the same spot for 20 years because nobody knows whose dollar it was. So nobody touches the dollar. And it's like this, it's become this like, sig- this, this sign of integrity and the department. And so there's change on like all the tables across the, uh, across all of, of Raleigh. North Carolina and all these stations because no cop wants to touch what's not theirs because integrity is such a big deal. However, we'll all go out and that one dude that's married with three kids will go out and cheat while we're there and nobody will try to stop them. And in fact, we'll all be in the locker room and be like, yo, did you smash that waitress last night? You know what I mean? Like, It's like we throw integrity out the window when it comes to infidelity. Like, it, it's, it's almost seen as a rite of passage. And I always hated it. I've always hated that. Um, yeah,
2: and there's a stigma there. Um, I was just talking about this last night in my first responder partner group. Is there's this, you know, stigma? You're on TikTok. There's those lawyers that come up on TikTok saying the top people who are cheaters and divorce or you know law enforcement, uh, police officer. I mean um, firefighters. Like yeah. they're always at the top of the list. And I don't think it's the job that breeds that. I think it's the job that attracts that. That's my theory. Ah. It's, the, really, I think, think it attracts that. Oh, absolutely! This job is um, ha, anyone that really wants to have their ego like boosted, and you know, oh, and I'm thinking at the beginning of the job, not when you get into it and you realize what it actually is, but right, <laughs> right, the beginning when you're like, oh, the you know, the guns and the uniform, and like you want to. I'm thinking of like the 19 year nineteen-year-old guy that's like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be a first responder. Yeah, like
1: to wants world. to be a cop, like more than anything.
2: Yeah, I feel like the, these jobs sent, tend to attract that personality type, the more narcissistic personality types, and those are the people that are probably going to cheat anyway. So, mm. I I really think that that is a part of the stigma. The other part of it and I think the more realistic part too is like, you know, feeling misunderstood or not understood by your spouse when you come home where you're not able to talk about things, you're not And these are the people that I see that cheat with the dispatcher. You know what I mean?
1: Oh man. We just, uh, we just did one. We just did a show not too long ago where a cop got caught looking at porn in his car because he accidentally keyed up the microphone. And yeah. so I played, I played the audio on my phone Yeah, on the microphone and it was like, ah, ah. so I own a distillery and a girl came to my distillery and she's like, so I listen to your podcast. I'm a dispatcher. And that voice you played from the cop watching porn on your thing, that was not porn. That was me. And I was fucking him at a gas pump. And I was like,
2: what a disclosure.
1: (laughs) What? And it was a whole thing. I think that cop's since been fired and she has, has moved, but it was wild. And then she started like telling me and showing me conversations and messages with other cops that are married that I know, in her phone. It was the wildest thing ever. I was like, yo, this is crazy
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: that this happened. So when you said like dispatcher, like that's a real thing too.
2: Oh, it's a real thing. And I think I hear a lot with people that actually have, they're not just fucking dispatchers. They actually have a relationship with them. They'll say like, well, I felt more understood, you know, they felt more understood than my wife was able to about, you know, what I see and do at work. Because they're within the culture where your spouse most likely is a part of the culture, but not the part that you're in, you know, where you're living it day in and day out on the job where dispatcher does as well.
1: So I was always wondering why so many cops hook up with dispatchers on the side. Cause you're, you're right. Like tons of dudes cheat on their wives with dispatchers. And yeah. I've always wondered, and I always thought it was maybe because like, it's a female voice mm-hmm. and you've fallen in love with the voice, <laughs> not the person.
2: That's interesting. Yeah, or, <laughs> but, but
1: like it makes more sense the way you put it
2: though. yeah i mean yeah it makes sense that i guess that too and also maybe you know you see that person day in and day out so you become close or have trust well them. i see so yeah,
1: we never saw the dispatchers
2: uh we'll hear them then yeah
1: yeah you just hear them all day and it's like i always thought like do these guys just like make up what she looks like in their brain and this they fall in love with this voice you know um <laughs> no but it makes more sense from a studied therapist that uh you know, they they hear the same issues and, and things like that. Now, what do you tell cops? What do you tell family relationships of cops? Because I have seen, and, I, and I've worked with cops who have fixed their marriage. They've listened to some of my shows where they get me on my soapbox preaching. I'm, I'm a real big preacher on family first values. I am a dirt bag on the, you know, I cuss, I swear, you know, I say a lot of things, but uh, one thing I do hold true to is I love my wife more than anything. I, I always preach about talking, never uh, disrespecting your wife in front of other people, treating your wife truly like she is a queen and then and, and you know spinning and putting that time and energy into your kids. So I get a lot of cops, that message me and it feel like they've recovered from, they'll be like, yo, I cheated on my wife. I've been cheating on my wife. And when I heard you talk the other day on your show, I made me feel really bad. And you're right. People do celebrate me. Like, how do you, when you have people sitting in front of you, families, like, do you see a lot of them fixing it or or coming back from, from that? Or is it mostly just over?
2: Um, both, you know, and I think this goes back to your other question of, is it men? or people that are you know, supposed to come to therapy because their wife is dragging them there or because they actually want to. So I get the couples, and those are my favorite to work with, obviously, who want to be there and they want to work on their relationship. And you can come back from that. Yes, it's not easy, not easy at all. I would never tell a client that it's easy to do that. But it takes a lot of, obviously, building trust up again and um, dealing in processing. But I've also seen a lot of first responders that are like, it happened, get over it to their spouses. And I'm like, "Mm, (laughs) that's not very fair. You know, you made your bed. Now you got to lie in it, buddy. Um, and those are my more difficult clients that I see because they don't either, they have lied to themselves in their head saying it wasn't, you know, just a one-time thing or it was just a few years and I'm done with it now. So no one should be talking about it anymore. To me, that's a, a big avoidance. You're avoiding, what you did and how it's affecting the people that you love in your life. So those are, I do get those too. And that's, they're difficult to deal with.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always told my wife that I'm not above cheating on her. I'll never say that. I'm, I am would, I have never done it, but I don't think I'm above it. Um, I think any guy can be tempted, but what really keeps me from doing it is knowing that I cannot lie. Like I'm the world's worst liar. Um, I am an open book everything about me is out there so if i did cheat on her i would immediately she would know because i would come home and i'd be like yo i kind (laughs) of fucked up you know what i'm saying so like that's what makes me never do it um even though i'm traveling constantly and everything like it's not even really on my brain because i'm like well yeah i could probably you know run some moves on that waitress right there but you know, 45 minutes later, I'd be having a terrible conversation with my wife and I don't yeah. want to do that. So I don't do it.
2: Yeah. That's what I was talking about earlier is that guilt and shame that people sit with when they're in this, you know, they do do it and then they they sit with it and they're like, oh gosh, like what did I do? Right. Uh, post not clarity. I think it's a real thing.
1: Yeah, it is a real thing for sure. Yeah. That's a real thing.
2: Yeah,
1: I always think better. Always think better after I come.
2: I'm sure it makes sense. All your sex hormones have died down, and now you're thinking logically.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Like if you wake up, like if I wake up in the morning, like I got it. my wife and I. We've got to hook up because I can't podcast all day with all that built up in me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Who knows what yeah, I would yeah, say?
2: I'm like that with my ice plunge. I don't know if this is the same or different, but I can't function until I get in my ice plunge, and my I think ten times clear after I get in it. I got in it at six a.m. right before this.
1: I saw that on on your on your thing. I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's doing the polar plunge before we do the show." Like, I feel <laughs> terrible. All I did was jerk off on my wife's tits before I came in here. Like, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I would never do that to my wife. <laughs> yes, I would. Um, of course I would. That's why she married me for things just like that. What are the, uh, give me like, I know you've got limited time and you've got to go on another show. Um, like give me like five, give me five things that you can do to be a better spouse. Hmm. What are some five easy things right now that you could do, uh, to work on these issues?
2: Yeah. My first thing is super simple. Communicate. Oh my gosh. Um, if you don't know how to communicate, learn to communicate. Um, that's why people go to therapy to learn the skills that they were not taught growing up. Um, honey,
1: I, I look at porn and not only do I look at porn, but it's midget porn. And not only is it midget pornography, it's midget amputee pornography. (laughs) And, um, just wanted to get that out there.
2: There you go. There's an example. Um, the second thing is, uh, work on self-awareness. That is huge. Um, being able to be self-aware and know what's going on with you. Again, that's why people come to therapy because they lack self-awareness and they need someone outside of their own head to go, Hey, this is why this is connected to this.
1: Like, it's so crazy that you say that because like self-awareness, like if you think about it, like that is a word that we should all, Like, I can't understand people without self-awareness. We could all be better at it, but I think you're right. Like, I think that's the, cra- that should be like the number one thing. I think it's self awareness. is it's like, how do folks go through and do all these things and not talk to themselves about it and understand and convince themselves or have the conversation with themselves that it's a problem? Like I'm, I'm, I have that conversation with myself all day, every day, and I'm barely functional. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a big one. I think it's huge and it would change a lot of relationships if we had more self-awareness. The next one is others awareness, right? Be aware of your spouse, learn how to read her body language. That is such a big thing. Um, and I do this with my couples all the time. It's real uncomfortable for them. You asked if I ever get uncomfortable in session. No, but I probably make all my clients uncomfortable at some point or another because therapy is uncomfortable and I talk about it openly, like, this is going to be uncomfortable, I'm going to make you do something weird. What I have them do is face each other and stare at each other in silence for about 30 seconds. And then I ask, what did you notice about them? Far too often, we just look at our partners all the time, day in and day out, but we don't learn to read their body language. And so when you see that their arms are crossed, or they're shaking their leg, or they're having a hard time making eye contact, there's more going on there. Our bodies speak more than our words do sometimes. So others' awareness is, is just as important as- Yeah, self-houder. I'd be
1: fucked in that scenario because I'd just be staring at her tits the whole time.
2: <laughs> Which <laughs> is fine. <laughs> I'd ask you, what do you notice about her? And you would Left have Left boobs
1: uh, hanging a little different than the right boob, but <laughs> you know what? I'm into them. I dig both of them <laughs> equally, <laughs> like children. Different, but I love each of them equally.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have five because those are so big and they feel like they branch off into their own things. Um, yeah. I mean,
1: others, awareness and self-awareness to two huge things, which can help you out just like in your career in general, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I say too, under communication, if I could just branch off that way is when you feel like there's distance, bring it up and it's real easy. Hey, yeah, I that's feel like, crazy yeah. to me
1: that how little people talk like uh, I so yeah. many times people say like, man, how are, how do you and your wife, like, how, how do you guys do this all the time? Because we run businesses together. Like we run a distillery together. We're, we homeschool our family together. I even work from home now. Like we're together as a family, 24 seven people are always just like, man, like, you know, how do you just talk that way in front of your wife and she's okay. And I'm like, because my wife knows everything about me. She knows everything every fine detail about me. And I know every single detail about her. I know what she's thinking. I know what she's attracted to, what she's not attracted to. I know what movie she wants to watch, which one she doesn't want to watch. And if you know everything and you're able to talk about it without being mad at each other and just know that she's a human being, just like that dude in the locker room is a human being. And if that dude in the locker room that you hang out with is telling you weird, funky shit, your wife at home also has weird, funky shit. And your wife knows that your husband has some weird, funky shit. And so when you talk about that weird, funky shit and you don't get mad at each other for it um, and you constructively work through it, I feel it's like when you start hiding that funky, weird shit, that it becomes a problem because then it manifests.
2: Well, isn't that what we want in relationships? If we really think about like the core reason why we get in relationships is to be seen as we are with our weird, funky shit and to be still loved anyways.
1: Right. And it doesn't mean that you just accept your weird, funky shit and just do it. No, but like you get it out there and you work together on it. You know what I'm saying?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to say too, I want to give this analogy just while I have you for therapy and anyone listening. That's like, yeah, I also (laughs) would never go to therapy, which I understand. I also, I have my own therapist. I dread it sometimes. I'm like, wow, I absolutely hate this. Uh, (laughs) But I always walk away glad I went. We all have blind spots. Like, um, you're backing up, gosh, have you ever backed up a trailer before? Like a motorhome, it's a bad time. Is it a bad time for you or is it not for everyone? I feel like the
1: bigger the trailer, the easier it is, but those small rinky dink, like little lawnmower trailers are such a pain in the ass.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got your wife or whoever out there like trying to direct you and it's a bad time. So when you're doing that, you have a blind spot. You can't really back something up without, you know, either having enough mirrors or someone behind you as humans, we all have blind spots. Um, I don't care who you are, the smartest psychologist in the world or someone that's super self-aware, you still have a blind spot. We all do. And what therapy is is someone that's trained to look at that blind spot and say, Hey man, (laughs) you've got a blind spot here and this is what's in it. I want to let you know. And these are the things we all have that. And some people, some of us choose to ignore that and go eh, I don't really need to work on it. It's nothing that's coming up. That's pressing for me that I notice. But a lot of times um, it's when your spouse points something out and they're like, hey, because they see it, right? Other people can see the blind spot, but you can't. And relationships are such a mirror. And I think that's the most challenging thing is you're looking at the mirror all the time who's able to point out the things that you maybe didn't see right away. And I think that therapy is is someone connecting those dots for you and, and giving you the ability or the mirror to see that blind spot that you have.
1: How do people, uh, follow you, get in contact with you? Um, I know that, I think I found you through Instagram for sure. That's yeah. how we connected. Um, and you put out some pretty, pretty good content on okay. Instagram. A lot of helpful hints, helpful enough that I reached out to you to, to get you on the show. Cause I always think it's important. Um, how do they, how do they follow you? What's your, what's your handle?
2: Yeah. So on underscore being underscore resilient is my Instagram handle.
1: Why'd you choose that? Real quick, I know you only got like three. Yeah,
2: I don't even know. No, you're good. Um, <laughs> it was in grad school when I started it. Um, I just thought about how you need to be resilient. Damn, that's and
1: way cooler. My first fucking email was Surf Stud.
2: Surf Stud.
1: Yeah, yours is like on resilient, on being resilient. Like, man, what a fucking, what a difference. You know what I mean? You had it together. I obviously did
2: not. I I thought about. I gave it some thought. I knew what I wanted. I wanted it to be so. um, Yeah, you can DM me on Instagram. Um, I have a link in my bio to my Psychology Today page where you can find my email, my phone number. Um, I do work with a nonprofit called the Overwatch Collective that pays for first responders to see me for therapy, Um, and so they act as like an insurance um, company, basically. So that's always an option too if if finances are an issue when it comes to um, therapy in general.
1: Well, that is awesome, Destiny. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all this. Just go give Destiny a follow. It's at on being resilient.
2: Yep, there's underscores in there. But yeah. yeah, I know, but I
1: like. I think if you just type in on being resilient, I think it'll it'll pop up. Um, if not, you can follow me on Instagram, and I will have tagged her, and we will have pulled a reel from this, and and you will be able to to find her some way. Or another, mm-hmm. We appreciate the time that you've given us, Destiny. And uh, if there's ever a case that comes up that you want to break down from a therapist's side of things, our Friday Breakdown, which is not Patreon, is our really big show, but it is a case breakdown with a 30-year detective. So if there is a case that piques your interest that you're like, I want to break this down with a detective and really like let people know on the psychology side of things of where this went wrong, maybe a cop blasts his family or something crazy happens, actually it would have been great to have you on for that whole Megan case. Oh, I, man, I love that,
2: yeah.
1: That would have been a great case to have you on. Matter of fact, I'd like to revisit that case. I'm sure you have a lot to say about it. Um, But I know you've got to jump on somewhere else. So we will catch you next time, Destiny. Thank you so so much. And thank you all to our Patreon listeners for paying to hear this episode. Love you guys.